I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service. According to the Vice President for Community Investments, Methodist Healthcare Ministries, Jordana Barton, low-income communities have a lot to offer in terms of human capital. Throughout her career, Barton has been committed to bridging the digital divide. Recently, Steve Taylor spoke to Jordana Barton about the scope of her career. So pleased today to be welcoming back to the Rio Grande Guardian channels, Jordana Barton. We've covered her tremendous work, I have to say that, a tremendous work at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas. And perhaps in the Rio Grande Valley, she's best known as one of the great champions for addressing our digital divide, uh, getting the, the valley more wired to help all the communities in the valley that struggle with that necessity these days, as we found out with COVID. But now Jordana has, has moved on from the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, although her work will be, no doubt her work in the Valley will be uh, along similar lines, but now she is Vice President for Community Investments for Methodist Healthcare Ministries. So tell us a little bit about your upbringing and your education to the point where you, you landed your job, your, that job at the Federal Reserve Bank of Dallas, if you will. Benavides. Yes. Was your birthplace. That's a long life. But um, <laughs> no, I'm happy to, uh, you know, I, I grew up in Benavides, uh, Texas, very small rural community near Laredo, near the border in Laredo. And, um, and uh, it was, it is designated a colonia by the, when the Secretary of State's office was, was labeling uh, places. <laughs> Um, it is a it is an incorporated town, but it is uh, designated as a colonia because we had um, very uh, substandard housing and, and lack of infrastructure, basic infrastructure like water, safe drinking water, uh, and and some of the basics of you know uh, paved roads and, and things like that. Uh, for example, you know it was it wasn't until I was already in graduate school when my family got uh, connected to uh, city sewage, where we had city sewage and not a you know, cesspool. <laughs> um, but uh, so, so um, I grew up in Benavides, you know, um, I, I think that's where I got my passion for public service and community that I didn't know it was a field at the time, but community development really, uh, uh, you know, being able to, to invest in, in low income communities where other people might not see the assets that are there, right? Uh, I knew there were assets there. And, um, you know, you, you could stand outside of my home where I grew up, you know, and, and you would look at it and you would say, what could have come out of this? Um, you know, uh, because my God, there's no insulation, there's no central air and heat, there's no, um, you know, it's dilapidated or it's not, not uh, up to code, um, but a lot can come out of it, right? Two surgeons, a surgical PA, a COO, uh, me, <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, and, and that's what I, I think that's the advantage that I've had all my life is that I know that things are not always what they seem <laughs> and that uh, appearances can be deceiving and, and that there is so much to invest in uh, to create opportunity in low-income communities. Uh, and, you know, I, sometimes I tell the story of my brother who dropped out of, of high school as a sophomore uh, and he, he, ended up working middle skills jobs like, you know, uh, surveying and, and on the oil rigs. 
And uh, then he got his GED, went to community college, went to pharmacy school, then went to medical school and uh, has served in Iraq and Afghanistan as a a surgeon, saving millions of lives, serving his community, bilingual surgeon uh, in the, you know, here in the U.S. And, uh, and he, you know, if we had given up on him then, right, as a high school dropout, uh, you know, imagine what we would have lost, even if you're just practical, you know, not thinking about the lives he saved or, the, you know, he's contributed to his community, but the taxes he's paid, <laughs> you know, all of that. Um, so that's what I know about these communities is that there's so much uh, innovation, there's so much uh, human capital, and it's worth in and creating opportunities and, and you know and with the federal reserve well i'm jumping ahead a little bit so that gave me an advantage i think is that i, I could see uh things that perhaps others uh, couldn't see and I, I i ended up i i went into education first as a, a, a teacher in public education and then in mexican american studies in higher education i wanted to to create opportunities for stu- students right young people who grew up in uh south texas and and beyond right uh, who grew up and, and you know, uh, needed opportunity, right, to uh, get a college education. Uh, and then, you know, the rest is history. I, I created a program uh, for students called the Latino Financial Issues Program. And uh, in that, I, I wanted students to, um, to uh, understand how our economy works, right, and, and how they can, how capital flows into low-income communities and uh, I had bankers, you know, from Wall Street, and I had not, uh, leaders of nonprofit organizations like uh, from uh, La Unión del Pueblo Entero, uh, Juanita Valdez Cox, and others, you know, present to them so they could see all the different ways they could use finance for good, right? Or use uh, so they were studying, you know, policy and, and government practices and individual behaviors that either inhibit the creation of, of wealth and assets or, or, or promote it, right? And, and understanding, you know, historically, uh, redlining and all the issues that we've dealt with in our, our country and how they can have make a difference and how they needed to be comfortable in, you know, the boardrooms of Wall Street, in any, you know, boardroom and uh, in the grassroots, right? And that that, that was actually for... For Latino students, that is their asset. They they can, you know, we we are comfortable being uncomfortable. <laughs> we we you know, and and for them to understand that they had a right to be there, right? That they we needed them there, <laughs> and uh, and and to be and to feel that you know comfortable in that. So that led to my career in in uh, community economic development. I, I had to get expertise myself in graduate school and. And, uh, and then I, I went into microfinance with what was called Acción Texas. Now it's Lift Fund. And I was the vice president for development and communications and, um, and then banking, community development banking, working uh, in all of this region, right? Uh, some of the most important work I did in affordable housing was within, in uh, South, you know, the border in Brownsville and other areas of the border. And, uh, and workforce development and, and small business development and so forth. So, um, so uh, and then that brought me to the Federal Reserve and really in the Federal Reserve, uh, it brought all my experience together. I was training banks or helping banks understand how to make investments in low income communities where the greatest needs were producing, not only you know, working hand in hand with communities, uh, but also producing research uh, that could be helpful, right? And, 
when I did the, the Texas Border Colonial study for the Federal Reserve, that's when the issue, uh, for example, of the digital divide came up. I wasn't asking those questions, but I was doing a mixed method study, uh, quantitative and qualitative. And so, if, of course, if I had just been looking at data sets, I would have never learned the things that I learned from being with the people and doing um, 45 interviews across the border region and, and uh, many focus groups. Uh, and that's where the families were telling, talking to me about the digital divide. Uh, moms telling me about their children who couldn't do their homework uh, because they, um, they didn't have access to the internet or a mom not being able to take, you know, do workforce development program with South Texas College because she didn't have access to the internet. So it became very real for me. Of course, I didn't know the answer, but they, when we had that uh, conference in McAllen, <laughs> um, they, uh, you know, the people got together and decided we want to close the digital divide. It was a little paragraph you'll see in the, the Colonius report and I mentioned in the, in the education section, you know, and, uh, but it, it became an area that I had to research because I had to learn with people, what was this issue? How do we really fix it? I didn't want band-aid approaches uh, that wouldn't uh, solve the problem. Right. And so um, at that time, my mayor, Julian Castro was, going to be HUD secretary and uh and he was starting connect home and so he opened the doors for a lot of people me to meet a lot of great people in broadband in the country and uh then likewise I started working with with people uh here at CPS Energy uh a utility lawyer who's expert in this area did I lose you no I'm still here okay I my my computer just went out um so uh, so the, you know, and then, um, we started working with, with communities on the border and continue to do so, uh, with the federal reserve, because, um, uh, what I understood from the people of the border region and, and the people that I served, right. Was very clearly that this was one of the biggest ethical challenges of the fourth industrial revolution that we are in the middle of, uh, and, and that the fact that lower income communities and low income people, uh, minorities or, or, or people of color and you know, certain people are left out, right? And, and, um, and what it, just what it meant, right? How it, it's one of those intersecting issues. So as I started looking at the economy and what was happening with jobs and the shrinking middle class, I began to see how it all was, how, uh, these issues like the digital divide were impacting that, right? So the story I told you of my brother, right? Where he, we had, we had opportunities to, for upward mobility. He got a middle skills job. He, he went, you know, put himself through, got his GED, put himself through school. Um, we had those opportunities. Those kind of opportunities are closing off unless we recognize what the new opportunities are and open up those for students and prepare them, right? And I talk about them in, in one of my papers as the new color jobs, right? So digital skills, you know, are now 82% of middle skills jobs require digital skills. That's a huge transition in our economy and we haven't kept up with it, right? And we know from research, now I do, not, not when I was writing the Colonial study, but uh, that whether or not a, a child or a student, right, goes into, goes to college. It, the fact, whether or not they have internet at home is a big factor in that. Uh, Michigan State University has done some of the best research in this. 
um, whether they go into STEM careers, science, technology, you know, math, those kinds of careers, uh, depends on whether they had internet at home. So it, it influences not only how well you do in school, but whether you go into the careers of the 21st century. Uh, and, and just like I had to learn utility law and engineering to a certain degree, I'm not an engineer, uh, but I had to expand what I know so that I could make good policy, right? My first task was to share the stories of the people of the border with the Board of Governors and change the Community Reinvestment Act to guide banks in investing in this area. Um, I had to understand it thoroughly, right? I had to understand broadband networks. Um, and what I always taught my students, right, was you, what you're doing is you're preparing yourself for an opportunity and you have to be prepared. And I realized that I've tried to do that my whole life. And, and uh, so it's, it's, it's solving an immediate problem. But then when, when COVID hit, right, I was no longer having to explain this is a problem and here's all the data and, you know, this is what, what it looks like and why it matters, right, to income and wealth inequality and how it was influencing that, right? Um, and, and, and that we weren't preparing people well enough for all these changes. No, I was asked to provide a solution. <laughs> and so in, in San Antonio, for example, when, when I was with the Federal Reserve, I presented a solution to the, the COVID committee of the city of San Antonio, of uh, the COVID-19 social services committee. Because they asked, what do we do, you know, about the digital divide, about these remote learning? It was on the news every night, right? No longer was I saying, oh, it's, we have an unequitable, inequitable educational system, right, where, where lower income students don't have the resources, right, to do their homework, to, you know, all of that access to the internet. And so I was no longer having to explain, I had to come up with a solution. And that's where I presented the, the, the idea of using the, the fiber backhaul of governmental entities um, and, and basically aggregating student households, um, aggregated demand, right, that's creating efficiency uh, into one account. Uh, instead of paying millions of dollars for mobile hotspots that is not sustainable and is the highest cost of service. And, and I saw what was happening. I was like, my God, for a fraction, we could have permanent infrastructure in low-income communities. Mm. So I, I, um, I, I taught about the law and how it supports uh, efforts like this. Uh, and, and indeed, I was just making a, uh, something that's available to enterprises to solve their issues or problems, uh, these local area networks, right, to reach their employees, whatever it was, right? Um, you know, two low-income schools <laughs> to, to join together. We have this great law in the state of Texas called the Interlocal Agreement Act, and you can share resources uh, among governmental entities and create that efficiency, right? And, um, and so the city adopted it, and they're, they're going to cover 50 uh, low-income zip codes uh, and low-income school districts um, across the city. We're doing two pilots right now at Dallas. We're sharing with them. They're doing five uh, demonstrations of this. Um, and so um, it's basically good for all parties. I mean, that's what I was in charge of at the Federal Reserve was creating efficient uh, uh solutions, right, that, that were uh, sustainable and would create uh, resilient communities. Uh, so, and permanent investment in low-income communities rather than this history of disinvestment and underinvestment, right? Mm -hmm. No, 
they're worthy of having the, the best technology we have access to. It's off the shelf technology, right? And, uh, and our friends in FAR, you know, we, we've demonstrated that, right? How do we take it to the scale, right? How do we really do this, right? Um, and so, so um, we're doing it uh, right now. And, and uh, likewise, I'm working with Brownsville. They're gonna be working on their middle mile fiber uh, and FAR is going to be working on their middle mile fiber. And now, you know, we just want to, to move forward, uh, you know, as fast as we can um, to, to create, because it's so essential to creating resilient communities. Well, I remember when reading your, your research and your work a few years ago, and you'd say, we're going to need this in telehealth. And it didn't mean much to me. I thought, well, why? What's that about? Why would we need... Uh, to have the digital divide in everyone's home just to help with telehealth and, and healthcare. And now COVID strikes and everyone can see it. Everyone, you, you can't go to visit your doctor because he or she um, is, you know, has got to stay alive and they, they can't be seeing people that have got the, the virus and et cetera, et cetera. So how about uh, equipping your cell phone so that they can they they can check up on you from from a distance and uh, all the things you were saying like you said earlier with when covid hit uh it was on the news it's on the news every day that this is a big issue suddenly the the all the elected officials wake up to the fact that this is a massive problem that we've had all these years yeah so uh, i was I, I won't name names but but i was speaking to a legislator the other day because i know this talk that we're going to have a statewide plan here in Texas when the legislature gets back back to work, but I was sort of disappointed by by what what I was being told there, and 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 it seemed as though their best hopes are basically to throw money at uh, the private sector that we've had the internet for 20, 25 years, thirty years, whatever it is, and the private sector has not been able to wi-fi into the colonies and now suddenly uh, because everyone can see the need is there if you just give them another incentive give them a, a an extra some more taxpayer dollars and suddenly it's going to work and i thought it's got to it, it's it's can't it's that's not the answer if if it was that was the answer it would have happened by now and you're telling me of san antonio and examples in dallas where the government is accepting its responsibility and saying, just like all the other public utilities, we're going to have to do this. If it's going to happen, we've got to play a much bigger role. So, yeah, and I think that, that, if you will. that comes from that um, comes from the nature of our market, right? Uh, um, and and go, so governmental entities have a different, you know, school districts, uh, uh, cities, they have a different bottom line than a, a you know, corporations have to maximize profits. That's their fiduciary duty, right? So some communities, and it goes back to my story of my childhood, don't look like they're, you know, that they, they're very good business. <laughs> uh, they're, you know, uh, considered not that good business. <laughs> so, so um, that's the nature of, of the, you know, the market uh, that, you know, this, the, the United States in, in the, my most recent paper, you know, I talk about um, some research, uh, you know, citing some research that shows that the United States has the highest cost of internet service of the developed countries, like almost double Germany and South Korea. And, you know, and, 
And so why is and that? I, and I, I, bet, I bet it's not as fast either. <laughs> Probably, exactly. Um, and so it has to do with the way um, we have not invested in infrastructure uh, uh, broadly across communities, right? And maybe new developments get fiber, but we're still relying on the infrastructure of the analog economy that's not going to be able to function very much longer with the end user devices, right, that we have and the needs that we have. Um, the, the copper lines, right, the old copper lines of the telephone networks, right, they can take us so far. Uh, so you have that inequity, right? Um, but governmental entities have a different bottom line. They need to serve people, they need to create healthy communities, a vibrant economy, you know, uh, all the things that you can do with, with this uh, essential infrastructure that it's required, right, for a vital economy. Uh, it, is the, it is the highways and roads of the 21st century, uh, broadband and fiber in, uh, infrastructure. So it makes, every, it makes uh, everything possible, small business development, attracting industry and jobs, good jobs, right? Um, uh, access to healthcare, as you have said, telehealth, uh, uh, it is, uh, so, it, you know, with regard to telehealth and in, in the, the telehealth paper that I wrote about the border and how important it was, I talked about how healthcare in this new economy, digital economy, has become the biggest creator of jobs in our country. That's, that's critical. If we're going to limit this industry in, in having the tools that it needs to, to serve people more efficiently, for one, to serve people better and create, to address our biggest health disparities, we're gonna have to close the digital divide because they need to be able to reach people with technology, right? So it's not like you can do one and not the other. And I gave an example that, of a project on the border where La Unión del Pueblo Entero knows how to reach people. So they can partner with Doctors Hospital at Renaissance and Methodist Healthcare Ministries, right? And they could reach people with these mobile unit that had access to the internet and they could do uh, telehealth. That was a, a great example, right? Um, so, so, you know, that, that's where we are in, in our economy. And, um, and, and uh, we have this opportunity right now because what has come together from the times that I've talked to you before to COVID, right, is that now more universally people understand, right? Uh, and they're more open to solutions. And, and there's not a lot of clarity around this issue, as you know, right? It's hard to explain um, how the architecture of the digital world works, the, the market economy that we're in, right? How it influences the political forces at play, all the things that are at play to keep things as they are, you know, and not use everything that is at our disposal. And uh, it's an issue, it's a civil rights issue, right? Because some, only some people are left out, right? Rural areas, uh, people of color, low-income people, right? And so we need to face it head on. We, we, we know how to intervene and create, um, and everybody wins. The internet service providers win, the, the communities ultimately win, right? But the, you know, everybody gets what they need with, with, for example, the solution that we're providing in San Antonio and now beyond, right? We're, we're using the model uh, broadly. But the, you know, the point is that we know how to solve this. It's going to be the will and, 
and the ability to teach, you know, that's the biggest challenge, right? Because we're talking, like I had to learn from, I had to be comfortable being uncomfortable and not knowing, but wanting to know the truth, right? Wanting to know how to really do this, not some quick fixes, so cost prohibitive that you can't sustain it. Like the, the mobile hotspots, right? Spending millions of dollars on that when you can have permanent infrastructure in low-income communities and partner with ISPs. And, you know, that, that's the synergy that I want to create. Like in San Antonio, you know, uh, somebody said, oh, yeah, and we'll hire a firm to um, provide the help desk for this new network, right? And I was like, no, we won't hire a firm. We are going to train our own young people. They're going to get paid internships. They're going to get training in IT. They're going to get certified these from junior high to high school and working with the college students, they're going to be running the help desk. They're going to be the experts in their own communities on digital inclusion and, and um, digital skills training, right? We have that, that's what you do in community development. Um, and so, so that's, that's what we're doing. And, and we're looking at it very holistically, the three legs of the stool of digital inclusion, you know, and we, you know, providing every part, right, of what you need to be successful. and Texas A&M University San Antonio is doing the evaluation. So we're going to know so much about the technology that we're using, about the experience that students have, and about the impact on their educational outcomes. And for the telemedicine pilot that we may do very soon, uh, the outcomes of that, right? What, what is the experience? And we're going to know how to move forward uh, uh, as, you know, in this, in this um, effort. Uh, and we're going to share it with the world, right? The country, uh, and and certainly what we're you know Br Brownsville is just incredible people uh, doing incredible work, and they have a, a plan. And far Texas, you can't you can't get you know more creative, innovative, and determined people uh, than than Brownsville and far and all along the border. So we're going to do this, uh, and so. What brought me to Methodist healthcare, you can imagine, right? This is a critical industry in our economy mm. that we need to unleash and, and to meet the needs of, of low-income people to create healthy communities, everything that that means. It's the work of community development, educational attainment, uh, access to healthcare, all the, all the things that we, you know, workforce opportunities and so forth, mm. how to create an inclusive economy that's what brought me to Methodist. You know, we've been working together as partners. They informed the, the Colonia study. And now we're walking hand in hand on the digital divide. Their commitment to South Texas and the border region was critical, of course, <laughs> for my uh, decision. Why it's such a good fit, right? It's just, it, it is a good fit and a good, it's a good next step because I will be, um, I'll be responsible for their philanthropic efforts, right? And and I realize I'll always have my social networks and professional networks and banking and we'll uh, work with them forever, right? And with the agencies that regulate them, I will work with them forever. Uh, those friends are and colleagues are lifetime <laughs> friends and colleagues. It's been such a big part of my life. Rear Grande Guardian editor Steve Taylor has posted a video of the complete interview with Jordana Barton. I'm Mario Munoz reporting for the Rio Grande Guardian International News Service.